0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Central Church. If you're joining us online via Facebook or our uh, our website, a welcome to you this morning. Uh, I I just did a lap around the church this morning, not outside. I kind of went through um, different sections of the building. Things are hopping Stuff is going on. There, I, w- I stopped in to Kids Central. They're worshiping with all their hearts. Uh, there are people in Oakwood Chapel right now. Oakwood Chapel, give us a shout out. Oakwood, yell. I want to hear you. Yeah. I, no, we have really insulated doors. <laughs> and there's like a seven-second delay, so watch. It'll come in. No, no, no. So wherever you are uh, joining us from this morning, we're just glad you're here uh, and praying that, that God will do um, something special, whatever he wants to do in your life this morning. So if you've listened to uh, or watched any commercials from the last 18 or so months, uh, you will know this one fact. We are living in unprecedented times. They're, they're using, right? They use that to like sell you a Honda or whatever. Um, but, but it's true, not just because of the pandemic, um, but I, I would say that the last 20 years, Is just a really unique time. Uh, No society in the history of the planet has had more wealth, more technology, more opportunities, more choices than we have right now. Just go to the soup aisle of the supermarket. You will be overwhelmed with the number of choices. When I was young, it was like three kinds of soup. I sound like a grumpy old man now. In my day, we had tomato soup and we liked it. No, there's so many opportunities. There's like 12 kinds of Oreos. We have crazy amounts of choices. But with all those more opportunities and more choices, uh, does that mean we're more happy? Does it mean we're more content? Are we more united? Hmm. I, I think the best things about living right here, right now, uh, are, are diversity and our freedoms. For the vast majority of, of human history, most people lived in poverty, in slavery, and in subjection to tyrants. Right? Like religion was controlled by the state, marriages were arranged. Uh, work was passed down from generation to generation and so if your dad was a poor catholic blacksmith guess what you get to be when you grow up same thing and and you lived around people who thought and talked and believed and acted pretty much the same as you did but now we live in a pluralistic society it's a free-for-all you know, there's, there's, with some exceptions and with some limitations, people are free to worship and work and live and play and say whatever, whenever, wherever they want. We are more free than ever before. But, but with those freedoms of, of thought and of expression comes conflict, Right? Just open up your Facebook and, and you'll see some conflict happening. Uh, and it, between friends and neighbors and, and coworkers and, and family, when it comes to conflicting beliefs and values, uh, sometimes it's hard to know what to let slide and, and what, what's worth fighting for, right? It, it's hard to discern uh, when we can agree to disagree on an issue and, and when we need to take a stand. Now, 20 years ago, a seminary professor introduced me uh, to the concept of levels of belief. And it's showed here in this pyramid. Uh, you see the levels are, are opinion, persuasion, and conviction. And basically, this is just a way of categorizing our beliefs into primary, secondary, and tertiary. Right. So the pyramid's base, opinion, uh, that's just people's preferences. Right. So for example, the best condiment on earth is Chick-fil-A sauce right okay wow didn't that didn't think that'd be my first amen but okay now this opinion matters to me but it shouldn't influence how I treat other people right I can I can still go eat waffle fries and nuggets with someone who mistakenly claims that Polynesian sauce is better right it's okay they're just they're just misguided Now the second level of the pyramid represents persuasion level beliefs. Now compared to opinion level, persuasion level are held more tightly. Um, they influence a little bit more how we interact and work with other people. So, so these beliefs are, are really centered around more consequential topics. They, they matter a little bit more. Now, we, we believe that there's significant evidence for arriving at the conclusion that we do, but we can understand how another people would come to a different conclusion. So, so we continue to work and, and be friends with those people, but we often try to influence them to persuade them to believe the same as we do on, on those issues. So an example of persuasion level belief would be like how to educate your kids. Like public school, private school, homeschool, life on the streets, whatever it is, whatever education method you choose, that is a, a belief that you hold at persuasion level. Now the top of the pyramid represents a person's convictions, those very few beliefs that a person holds strongly and is probably unwilling to compromise on. These are the hills that you'll die on. So, so if somebody says, death to America, or white people are superior to black people, guess what? They're not invited to my birthday party. We'll just put it that way. Now when it comes to issues in the church... Uh, We need to make sure that that we categorize our beliefs in in the proper levels of the pyramid. So like the color of the carpet here, uh, the types of songs that we sing, the translation of the Bible that we read from, the clothes that we wear, all these things are opinions. Uh, For example, I, I like to volunteer with middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. My wife would rather be stung by a thousand bees. That's okay. We still love each other persuasion level gets a little trickier. I I would consider issues like the age of the earth, uh, the role of women in ministry, uh, whether you're a a Calvinist or an Arminian. These are all topics that you can search the scriptures and and arrive at a position, but you can see how other Jesus-loving people can can view it differently. Now, I'm not going to leave a church If the pastor believes in a premillennial, post-tribulation rapture, if you don't know what that means, you're better off. (laughs) Now, when it comes to theology, uh, these are a few things that I should hold very dear Right, Very, very few things that rise to the level of conviction. Foundational essentials of the gospel. Meaning that if a person disagrees with me on these issues, we're going to have issues. So for example, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I hold that at conviction level. Now if you believe that you can somehow earn your salvation? Or uh, that Jesus was just a good teacher, but he wasn't God incarnate? Or you believe that the Bible is no more real or true than like Harry Potter? Uh, That doesn't mean you're not welcome here at Central. It just means we're not going to let you preach uh, because you're probably not a Christian, at least not yet. Okay, so look at this pyramid again, and notice the size of each level of the pyramid. We should have a lot of stuff at opinion level, okay, and then fewer things at persuasion level, and then just a very small number of beliefs at conviction level. Okay, the problem occurs when people move issues from opinion or persuasion level up to conviction level. The pyramid gets top-heavy. So if, if I get up here and I say something about masks or vaccines and you disagree with me, that is not a good reason to leave the church and find one that agrees with you. Okay? Because that's a persuasion level issue. You've done your research, you've arrived at your position. I've done my research, I've arrived at my position. Maybe some people in the room are still trying to figure things out. Great! That's okay, because it's not a primary, essential, gospel level issue. People who love the Lord, believe the Bible, and try to faithfully follow Jesus can disagree about a lot of peripheral level things. It's actually good for us. If we engage in civil discussion and we try to patiently understand where people are coming from, these conversations actually help us grow. What a concept. It's like working out. You only get bigger muscles if you make them face resistance. You have to lift some actual weight. Now, if you go to church every week and you agree with everything that's said by everyone every week, it's like lifting styrofoam dumbbells. You're not doing yourself any good. It won't help you get in spiritual shape, says the guy who hasn't been to the gym since February. That's where the analogy breaks down a little. I wish I was jacked. Wheeler would like be flexing right now. All right, so what is the point? For the next six weeks, we're going to be spending some time in a particular book of the Bible that centers around a disagreement about a conviction level issue. This issue was central to the gospel because it impacted the core principle of Christianity. How is a person made right with God? How are we justified? How are we saved? So, we're gonna introduce uh, the theme of the book and then we're gonna dive into the first chapter together. Okay, you ready? You with me? Okay, let's do this. So, who likes getting letters in the mail? Like, Like real letters from real people. I don't know how often that happens anymore. I get bills and the occasional birthday card from my mom, and then, like, college mail for my kids. That's it. Um, but back in the day, people used to write letters all the time. It was the primary means of communication. They would use it to, to uh, you know, extend an invitation or a critique or, or to provide a word of encouragement or warning or just an update about what was going on in their life. It was sometimes used uh, to let people know how you really felt about them, like this. Write a message and you two can take it to her. Wait a second, we're human woman haters. We can't deliver love notes. Love note? Oh, no, this is going to be a hate. between my toes, love alfalfa. O-Tay. o I love the little rascal so much. So did you know that the, the kid who played buckwheat actually converted to Islam? He changed his name to Kareem of Wheat. I've been waiting six years to tell that joke. So worth it. Oh. So most, most of the New Testament is, is composed of letters. Not anything like Alfalfa wrote, but, but letters written to individuals and to churches. And, and most of those letters, called epistles, were written by the Apostle Paul. So they're Apostle Epistles. You got it? Okay. So usually Paul wrote to churches to give them instructions, you know, to maybe answer questions that they had, to encourage them, to equip them. But this letter to the churches in Galatia were written to take a stand, to correct an egregious error, to plead with people, to believe the gospel, and to explain what it means to be free. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at this letter. The book of Galatians is nine books deep into the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians... And then we get to Galatians. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so if you don't like this particular translation, yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. (laughs) So Galatians 1, starting at verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. So now we know who wrote it and who we wrote it to. It's Paul to the Galatians. All right, now if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you probably know a little bit about who Paul is. He originally was called Saul. And he was, a, he was a zealous Pharisee, right? He was a Jewish leader who hated Christians. But the book of Acts describes how he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He's blinded. Um, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? And eventually his sight is restored and he's promptly converted and baptized and called to be an apostle, a sent one, who preached the gospel to the Gentiles, planted churches, and wrote half of the New Testament. That's Paul. Now, what about Galatia? Galatia was a Roman province. You'll see it up here on this map. Uh, it was in uh, what is now Turkey. Uh, Paul visited this region uh, during his first missionary journey around 47 or 48 uh, was the year he preached the gospel there the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and people became followers of Christ and Paul established churches communities of these new believers and then he went back to his home base in Antioch now he'd only been gone a hot minute when some other former Pharisees from Jerusalem swooped in to the region of Galatia and they started uh, talking smack about Paul. And they were like, hey guys, like the stuff that Paul told you about Jesus, it's all great, but he only told you like half of the story. The other half is that you, you really need to become full members of God's people, Israel. And so what we're going to need you to do is uh, you need to observe the Sabbath. You need to follow these dietary uh, kosher laws. um, And uh, one minor detail, you need to get circumcised. Oh, okay. Um, So like most new converts... The Galatians were eager to do the right thing and to prove their faithfulness. And so when these new teachers came in claiming the authority of the Jerusalem church, the new Christians were like, sure, sounds sounds good, whatever you say. So they, they added circumcision and the law, the system of Abraham and Moses to faith in Christ. Now before you get all judgy thinking, what a bunch of dummies, consider this. Many of us have a strong tendency to do the same thing. To think this faith alone stuff is too good to be true. Because of our pride and our self-righteousness, because we live in a meritocracy, a culture that tells us that, that we just have to work hard to earn whatever we get, we tend to add other requirements to the gospel. Maybe not circumcision, but, but when it comes to getting on God's good side, we think it requires Jesus plus something else. You know, Jesus plus good theology. Jesus plus faithful church attendance. Jesus plus tithing. Now, nothing is wrong with any of those things. They just can't save you. See, rules and laws and moral values, they're all good, but they're only wrong When they take the place of Jesus. When they become your means of righteousness. So this principle is true not just for legalism, but for anything that supplants the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul knew this. He knew that this legalism that had taken over the churches in Galatia was dangerous. It was a distortion of the gospel. This wasn't freedom. It was bondage to self-righteousness and pride. And so he writes this letter. And instead of telling the readers how thankful he is for them and, and reminiscing about the time they spent together and saying, oh, you guys are so great, I, I'm, I'm just so glad that you're, that you're doing this. No, he cuts to the chase. Look at this, verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Paul says, I'm astonished. I'm stunned. I'm dumbfounded. My ghast is completely flabbered right now. But in no uncertain terms, he lays out what is happening. He, he's not saying, yeah, there's just this slight problem with your theology that you, It's not a big deal. You might want to look into adjusting this belief. Um, You know, maybe change your mind about this someday. No. He is saying this is a conviction level primary issue. You have deserted Jesus and you're following a perversion of the gospel. Easy, Paul. Why all the fuss? Like these, these people are just trying to do the right thing. They're just trying to live a good life. But Paul says salvation is through faith in Christ alone, not by works. And that by caving into legalism, by making justification, Jesus plus the law of Moses, the Galatians were declaring that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. His gift of forgiveness was insufficient Sorry, Jesus, what you did on the cross was great and all, but I got it from here. I can't accept grace. Now, last week, Dusty Hoffman said that his theology of grace eventually became his biography of grace. And the rest of this chapter in Galatians and the next, Paul shares his story, his biography of grace. He tells how Jesus turned his life upside down. See, Paul had been set free from his past. And so he simply told his story because the greatest argument for the truth of the gospel is a changed life. Paul's story is pretty unique. It's not everybody who goes from killing Christians to, like, planting churches, right? Uh, And he tells his story a little bit differently depending on who the audience is. Like here in this letter to the Galatians, he's emphasizing the importance of his calling and his message and his apostleship uh, because there was a lot at stake. He's basically saying, look, those Judaizers that came up from Jerusalem are bad-mouthing me and they're spreading a false gospel. Now here is why... The gospel that you heard from me in the first place is legit. Listen to my story about how the gospel changed my life. Now, for the most part, whenever Paul lays out his story in the New Testament, he does it in a way that can, we can use as a model for our story, that you can use as a model for telling your story. And it's pretty simple. It's just this. Your life before Christ... And then how you came to Christ. And then you you finish up with your life since coming to Christ. Now let's look at a few highlights from Paul's story. First, his life before Christ. Uh, Verse 13. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Now before meeting Jesus, Paul had an impressive religious resume. He had the best education. He had great heritage. He followed the law to a T with incredible passion and commitment. So much so that he was rounding up Christians, people he thought were heretics. And he threw them in jail and even killed some of them. But he wasn't just persecuting Christians. He was persecuting Jesus himself. His efforts to please God were actually pushing him further away from God. And yet in spite of this, God showed him incredible, amazing grace. Verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that i would proclaim the good news about jesus to the gentiles god came to paul in the person of jesus christ and he entered paul's life and he took control giving him a new reason for living And what was the result? Look at the end of the chapter, verse 23. People were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Wow. Researcher and author Kara Powell says that everybody has three primary needs in life. She says that we're all... Asking three important questions. And those questions are this. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? Those get at these fundamental needs that everyone has. And those needs are identity, belonging, and purpose. We all desperately need those answered. And Paul was no different. But when Paul met Jesus, all of these answers changed. See, the world says that you create and you shape your own identity. And and so the problem is, though, that we need people to affirm and to validate our identity. Right? So we're constantly posting and projecting our identity. We're building our own brand. We're saying, hey, everyone, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I did today. We're constantly waiting to get that fix, that temporary high of saying, I'm a somebody because I got this number of likes on social media or I I gained this number of followers. We do it all so that we can glorify ourselves because we desperately need to know who we are. Now, we tend to find a sense of belonging Based on some really silly things, really, like, it's the the brands that we're loyal to. It's the teams that we cheer for. We become a member of, like, Husker Nation or whatever. How's that working out for you? (laughs) Not good. Uh, We find a sense of belonging in, in, like, the social cause that we're rallying behind. But, but do those things really love us and accept us? No. If we find a sense of belonging in the wrong places, we're always one mistake away from being canceled, from being rejected, from no longer belonging. Now, when it comes to purpose, we're told you can be anything and do anything you want. Just follow your heart, follow your dreams. And where does that leave us? Pursuing things that, as good as they seem, ultimately leave us empty. Because they can't give us a life of fulfillment and freedom. So how does Paul answer these big questions of identity and purpose and belonging. Well, who am I? Paul says, I am an apostle, a messenger sent by God to declare his goodness to people who don't know him. That's who I am. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? Paul says, I'm not trying to please people. I don't need their approval. I don't need their validation. I am a servant, a slave of God. I belong to him. And I have never felt more free. And what difference can I make? Paul declares, my purpose is to proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. People see this radical change in my life and they're glorifying God. That is my purpose. From the moment he became a Christian, Paul wanted to know nothing else but Christ crucified. He gave up everything he had worked for his whole life, and he traded it in for a life devoted to Jesus, a life of meaning and purpose and true freedom. See, the Galatians had been far from God. They were Gentiles, they were Greeks who worshipped All kinds of false gods, from Apollo to Zeus. They were slaves to sin. Now, after briefly tasting the freedom of the gospel, they were making themselves slaves to the law. It's it's like they just had been released from the county jail and just walked up the hill straight into the state pen. See, freedom is not living the way you want Freedom is experiencing the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. It's grace that delivers us from the rigidity of the law and from the power of sin and allows us to live a spirit-filled life of joy. When Paul was confronted with the grace and truth of Jesus, he placed his faith In Christ, rather than in himself, in his religious traditions, in all of the great things he had going for him. He said, I consider them rubbish. He put his confidence in God's power rather than in his own. And God used him to change the world. That was his story. What about you? What's your story? Now this week, take a few minutes... If you've never done this before, like actually take some time and some thought and some prayer into crafting your story. Write it down. What was your life like before Jesus? How did you come to know him? And what difference has he made in your life? Now, if you've been a Christian since you were like four years old... You might be thinking, I, I, I don't have a story. You know, I don't have anything dramatic or cool like Paul. But guess what? You've still got a story to tell. You've still seen God at work in your life. He has given you identity and belonging and purpose. So no matter who we are, we have a story to tell. Here's just a few things to keep in mind when when crafting your story, when telling your story. First of all, make sure you emphasize the changes in your character and in your priorities, not just in your behavior, okay? Uh, Secondly, don't badmouth any other church or denomination or tradition. Keep the focus on Jesus. Thirdly, uh, keep things short, like, your story should be no more than, like, three to five minutes. Otherwise, you'll, you'll lose people's attention. And then finally, practice. Practice telling your story to, to people that you trust and who can help you revise it and craft it so that it will eventually become natural and you'll be ready to tell your story and share the love of Jesus with people in your relational world. Now, maybe you're here today and you're a Christian But you realize that you're you're like the Galatians. You know, you've you've been relying on something other than Jesus to make your life work. Relying on your charisma or your connections, your reputation, your hard work, your financial status, or whatever. You came to Jesus by repentance and faith, but now you're living based on your own effort. You sing, I'm no longer in bondage, but you don't live like it. Maybe it's time to lay that down and to trust in Jesus alone. Maybe you're here today and you've never really been free at all. You're in bondage to addiction or guilt or shame or fear or self-righteousness or, or resentment or whatever. If that's the case, maybe today is the first time that you experience real freedom, through the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And around here, we just say it's as simple as ABC. It's right up there on our wall. Just admit that you've sinned, that you need Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the only one who can give you that forgiveness, who can change your life, who can save you can give you freedom and then commit to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. See, God made you. He loves you. And He wants you to be free to be the person that you were created to be. Now, as we wrap up, there's just a few things that I want you to, to, to make note of. If maybe God's telling you something that he wants you to do as a result of being here today, maybe you want to let us know what that is. Go ahead and mark that on your communication card. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Maybe you you want to to come and talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, or you just need someone to pray with you. There'll be people down front here ready to pray with you in confidence. Um, We would love to do that. Uh, thirdly, if you are not experiencing community and want to dig into God's word with other people, now is a great time to join a life group. It's not too late. There's life groups still forming as we speak. There's still room for you. So go ahead and scan that QR code or go out into Grand Central um, and learn how to sign up for a group. Make sure you grab a book on the way out too, because life groups are starting this week. We would love for you to experience community. It's a great time to see God change lives. Uh, Lastly, uh, one of our legacy partners, uh, Lindsay Wagner from FCA is out in the concourse. Swing by and talk to her and just see what her ministry is all about uh, and maybe how you can be involved. Uh, Lindsay would really appreciate that. So no matter where you're at today, Jesus calls you to live each day relying on his grace. He calls you to repent and believe the gospel. At its most basic level, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Can you say that today? Because only then can you be truly free.